and uh, we ask for your, uh, your healing hand on them uh, and give them the physical strength and vigor back. Be with us now in your word, in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, just a note, yes, uh, if you look in your, uh, your bulletin, uh, the uh, passage is the one from Exodus, but I just wanted to assure you that uh, we took special care. The, the little sermon notes page works in both Old Testament and New Testament, so feel free to go ahead and use that um, and, uh, and be assured that it'll still work. So last week we talked about being strangers no more, uh, kind of an opportunity uh, to uh, just continue on in our series about strangers. Uh, we talked about not being a stranger anymore, that the Gentile was now no longer a stranger, no longer an alien, but an heir in the uh, body of Christ. So it kind of asks the, bears the question, if we're no longer strangers to God, now what? Should that change us? We've become heirs with Christ. We talked about that in Ephesians 2. If we've been raised with Christ, shouldn't we be pursuing the things of God? Shouldn't we be seeking the attributes of God? Shouldn't we become followers of God? If we're heirs with Christ, if we're raised with Christ, our minds should be on greater things. We should be focusing on things above. We should be focusing on the things that are of God. When we focus on the things that are of earth, they become the most important to us. There was a, um, an old story. Um, don't, don't hate Kathy and me for this, but we were in Amway once. And uh, there was a story of a guy, and they tell you to put up your goals, put up the pictures of the things that you want to strive for. And he put up a picture of a Ferrari, because he wanted a Ferrari. The only picture you could find was of a yellow Ferrari. Now, if everybody happens to know, if you don't know, Ferraris are famous for being red. That's actually a color, Ferrari red. But he spent so much time looking at that car that when he finally became successful, because that's how they're going to tell the story, um, he could only imagine getting a yellow Ferrari and had to actually search out the car that was in the picture. And it's a lovely story. It's very touching, blah, blah, blah. But the point was he focused on this one thing, this one specific thing, and that became his desire. What happens when we focus on the things of earth? What if we focus on the things that are material and the here and the now and the secular? That becomes what we desire. God's calling us to something higher, something greater than that. So how do we do that? How do we focus our life on that which is hidden with Christ? In Matthew 6, Jesus speaks about this directly. He says, don't be anxious about the things here on earth. Don't be anxious about what to eat or what to drink or what to wear. In Matthew 6, he says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. 
Christ tells us that when we set our minds on the things of God, God takes care of our worries. Don't think about the things here. Think about God. He'll take care of the rest. We're tasked with seeking his will, praising his name, and giving him glory. He takes care of everything else. You go to work. You're assigned a task. What happens when you go, you know what? I, I'm going to do this other task instead. I'm going to do this other thing. Not what you've told me to do. I want to do this other thing. What happens? You don't have that job very long. God's given us a task. Let's be honoring what he's tasked us with and trusting him to take care of the other things. Verse 4 in this first little section of, uh, of verses uh, of 1 through 4 tells us that when Christ, who is your life, appears, you will appear with him in glory. You will appear with him in a different place, another place. Paul wrote, for me to live is Christ, in, in Philippians chapter 1. And here he shows this, that this idea was not just for special apostles. It's easy to look at, at uh, Philippians 1 and think, well, Paul's an apostle. He's got this special cool job. He's got a special cool calling. He's got a special task. But here he shows us that this idea was not just for special apostles. It was for all the believers. Christ, who is your life. That's what we should focus on. Sometimes we say somebody, music is his life. Or sports is his life. Or he lives to work. Of Christians, it should be said, Jesus Christ is your life. That's where we should be focusing. Now that we're no longer strangers, we're heirs, what are we doing? We should be focusing on Christ. In verse 5, it says, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Uh, Jim read out of New American Standards, it covetousness, it's, it used the word greed instead, and that's perfectly fine. It's the first Sunday of the new year. We talk about setting New Year's resolutions. I'm, personally, my New Year's resolution is I'm not going to go see cats, no matter what. <laughs> but we talk about New Year's resolutions, and these tend to be half-hearted wishes for self-improvement. I'm going to lose weight. I'm going to do this thing or that thing. I'm going to you know, earn more money, get an education, whatever. That's how we tend to look at self-improvement. And it's self-improvement. We're going to go do this through our own efforts. But how does Paul tell us to deal with our sinful life? Instead of saying, ah, I'm going to join a gym, maybe lose a couple pounds, he says, put to death what is earthly in you. Um, the word is uh, necrosate which literally means make dead. It's a very strong. Suggests we're not simply to suppress evil. We're not set out to control evil. 
We're not to avoid evil acts or avoid evil attributes. We are to put them to death. We are to wipe them out, completely exterminate your old way of life. If you're no longer a stranger, don't live like a stranger. Severe measures are being taken. Think about it. Severe measures are being taken on your behalf to accomplish this very thing. Christ died to defeat your sin. Romans 6, go, to, go ahead and go to Romans 6 um, and uh, look at verses 10 through 13. It's a little longer piece, so we should all read it together. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourself to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. You can go back to Colossians. But that, that idea that um, uh, don't present your members to sin. Don't, don't be hanging around sin waiting for an opportunity to sin. Don't look for sin as the best way out. Don't we sometimes do that? Easiest thing to do is just sin, get it over with. Sin's our easiest path out of a difficult situation. We need to consider ourselves dead to sin, but alive to God through Jesus Christ. When we think of things of earth, we think of what shall I eat? What shall I wear? Remember being in a Sunday school class once, we were visitors. It wasn't here. And the entire Sunday school class spent their time talking about where they were going to go to lunch after church. They're sitting there with the word of God in front of them and they're thinking about the things of earth. But the things of earth are the sins of the flesh. Yes, we have to eat. Yes, we have to be dressed. Yes, we have to take care of the, the things around us. But understand the things of earth are the things of sin. So he lists sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetedness, which is idolatry. I was actually thinking I could cheat since I was kind of on short notice here. Uh, I could just spend all my time this morning just talking about all the sins and how horrible they are and list them out. But we all know what these sins are. It's horrible to think of it, but we know exactly what these sins are. I don't need to describe them to you. I don't need to describe them to myself. Let's not spend our time there. These are the things that tear us away from Christ. These are the things that drag us back into the pit that is sin. These are the things that separate us 
from Christ. Did you ever think about the, the coveting or greed as idolatry? It's kind of like a slap in your face. Coveting, desiring the things of this world is idolatry. It's placing something in your mind to be greater than God. That's idolatry. God doesn't tolerate that. Greed, sexual sin, impurity, evil desires, all intrude on our relationship with God. Because these sins, besides being reprehensible, take us, our time, our effort, and our thoughts away from God. That's idolatry. Taking your mind away from God, taking your thoughts away from God, your efforts away from God, and applying it to something else as your greatest desire. It's idolatry. Does that change it? Does that make it more awful? I was trying to throw in bad English just to watch Christine cringe. But <laughs> we, we do that. We, we take our eyes off Christ and we focus on these sinful aspects. How serious is this? Look at verse 6. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. It's easy when we read this passage, we talk about the sins and we talk about the good things, and we'll get to those, and we kind of skip over verse 6. It's just in there. It just kind of, you know, adds weight. How serious is our sin? What does our sin cause? God will hold everyone accountable. Zephaniah 1.14 says, The great day of the Lord is near, near and hastening fast. And a little further on in verse 15 it says, A day of wrath is that day. God's day of wrath is coming. And it's because of our sin. It's because of the sin that's talked about in verse 5. It's on account of these that God's wrath is coming. But there's good news. Verse 7. In these you too once walked when you were living in them. It's in the past tense. Hooray. <laughs> it is formerly. You too once walked in this. That, that's so wonderful. But then it goes on and it says, uh, when you were living them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. More, more bad news, more sin, more awfulness. And by the way, just because they're in verse 8, not verse 5, doesn't mean verse 6 doesn't still apply to those. Just so you know. Don't think these are under the cut line or something. These are the same sins that on account of these, the wrath of God is coming. These here are kind of interesting uh, in verse 8. These are relationship sins. These are sins 
of how we treat others, how we think about others. It's easy to separate those and say how we treat somebody. Oh, I treat everybody nice. How you think about them is another matter. If you harbor anger, you harbor malice against somebody, how do you think you really treat them? If you disrespect somebody, how do you treat them in your acts? What's in your heart is expressed with your tongue. These are significant sins that affect you both inside and out. But it's past tense. Again, we don't need to go through this list of sins and tell you how horrible each one, because we know how horrible each one of these sins are. We know how damaging they are, how cancerous they are. But Paul shows us as these attributes can be in our past. And I understand these aren't acts of a person. These are the attributes of the person. These are the personality of the person. It's not just doing something. It's what's in your heart. Paul shows us the attributes can be in our past and we are becoming an heir with Christ. If you're becoming an heir with Christ, you're no longer a stranger to God, then you're called to put these things away. Put them out, cast them away. Verse 9, do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. So verse 9 adds lying to this list of others. Um, and uh, it's just, it's there with the list. It's just, the verse splits it up. Paul points out the need to put these practices away because we've put off the old self. These are the attributes of the old self. So put those aside, put them away, cast them off. Uh, to use the word um, um, cast off, uh, put on a new self, uh, put off the old self. Uh, it's a sense of removing dirty, ragged clothes and throwing them away. Guys don't ever throw clothes away. Did you notice that? You can have, like, I've got like a really, really ugly shirt. It's got a stain on it. It's, the material's getting really thin. Kathy goes, why can't we throw this away? I go, it's still good. She goes, where do you wear it? I go, I wear it around the house when nobody's looking. It's still a good shirt. But there's sometimes you just look at it and you go, I got to throw that away. That's the idea that these are so filthy of rags. They are, they in themselves are not cleansable. So get rid of them. Cast them off. They aren't you. They're just attributes. They're your traits. Do you ever put on new clean clothes over filthy clothes? You go out, you work in the car, you got grease all over you, stains, maybe a little transmission fluid right over here on the back. And you go, oh, I'm supposed to take my wife out to dinner. So you run inside, you throw on a jacket and a tie and go, let's go, honey. We don't do that. So don't try to do that with your attributes and your life and your walk with Christ. Don't try to throw something clean over the top of what is filthy just throw them away, cast them off. This is an aorist sense in the Greek. 
Uh, Aorist is kind of a unique uh, tense. It's mean, it means that this is an event that's already taken place and is continuing to take place. So there's, there's just this idea that it's happened, but it's continuing to happen. Don't stop putting this aside. Don't stop casting this off. A change of identity has already happened. It's continuing to happen. We need to change our behavior to reflect the change that is continually happening within us. In Romans 6.6, 6, Paul writes, We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin may be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Our old self needs to be cast off, needs to be crucified, needs to be put away. So we're no longer enslaved by sin. We keep thinking somehow we're in control of this. We're enslaved. The sin is what is holding on to us and not letting us serve our Lord. Verse 11, here's our tie-in back to last week. Notice how that worked? That was kind of cool. Uh, here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. So we're strangers no more. Last week we talked about Gentile believers going from strangers to heirs in Christ. What a wonderful thought. We go from being total strangers to being heirs, being family with Christ. And here we get a list. Now if you're a Jew in the first century, a Greek was a Gentile. Barbarian and Scythians were worse. Not just the Greek in your city, but these were horrible, violent, uncivilized, and inferior people, usually um, north of the Black Sea. Scythians were, were up in that area. So to say that this, this barbarian doesn't even speak Greek is an heir with you in the kingdom of God. That's an amazing, groundbreaking statement. We're all in this kingdom and heirs together. So verse 12, we get to the good part. <laughs> Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Put on then, we talked about casting off and putting on, so putting on... Uh, put on then, uh, if you have New American Standard or some other version, it's therefore, the infamous therefore. Since you stop, since you are the person of verse 10 and 11, you're God's chosen ones. Now, how successful is it when you tell somebody to stop doing something, but you never tell them to start doing something else? Don't be angry. What should I be? 
Here Paul gives us the attributes that mark a Christian. You're God's chosen one. You're holy, which means set apart. You're beloved. Stop for a minute and think about that. When we were singing this morning in worship, Paul was talking about the incredible greatness of God, the God that separated dark from light. This is the God that loves you. The last song we sang, Indescribable, talks about all these wonderful things, putting stars in the sky, warehouses full of snow, etc., etc., etc. And how does it end? You know my heart, that you still love me. You are loved by God. We say that all the time. Do we consider the impact that should have? Shouldn't that shape our thinking? Shouldn't that shape how we act? Who are you if you are one who is chosen by God, holy and beloved? Who are you there and what should be your attributes? What should you look like if you are one who is loved by God? should have compassionate heart, kindness, humility, meekness, patience. Turns out, um, Kathy pointed out to me um, that uh, they did a medical study and discovered these traits are actually healthy for you. You are healthier when you practice these attributes rather than the previous ones of wrath and anger. Imagine that. Living your life as God says you should is good for you. Should that be the reason? No, we'll get to that. Forgiving each other. Why do I have to forgive people? I mean, they've offended me, right? <laughs> I, should, I, should for, I shouldn't have to forgive. Why should we forgive? Has God forgiven you of anything lately? Matthew 18, there's the parable of the unforgiving servant. He is forgiven a lot. He is forgiven an impossible amount of debt. Yet he goes out and throws people in prison for a very, very small amount of debt. We shouldn't be like that. We should forgive others because Christ, God has forgiven us through Christ. We are forgiven of so much. We're forgiven of all those attributes we talked about that you're supposed to cast off. We're forgiven of sin that leads to death. We are forgiven so that day of wrath that's coming, we can be separated from that. So, shouldn't we be looking for ways to forgive others? And I say that as a, as a positive, as a, a action, not a reaction. Have an attitude of forgiveness. Don't wait till you're offended and go, oh yeah, I'm supposed to forgive. Oh man. But it's a heart. It's a heart of forgiveness that's already there. It's an attribute, not an act. Verse 14 Put on love. Remember, just said God loves you. 
So how important is love? How important is God's love to you? Incredibly. Without love, he doesn't care. He doesn't send his son to die for you. Paul tells us that love is actually what binds it together, binds everything together. How can we forgive? How can we show kindness? How can we practice humility without love as the adhesive that holds all that together? Without love, kindness becomes anger. Without love, humility becomes malice. Patience becomes wrath. Forgiveness becomes obscene talk. Without love, we revert back to those attributes of the world, of sin. Love is what gives us the ability to forgive, to show kindness, to practice humility, to be meek. And then we talk about the peace of Christ. When we stop being become strangers and become heirs with Christ, we have peace. We experience ultimate peace because we have peace with God. There's peace with man, but then there's peace with God. And to be at peace with God is the wonderful miracle that is the cross. Without Christ... We are the enemy of God. Our sin puts us in that place of being God's enemy. We, when we have peace with God, we're able to love. When we love, we are able to practice these good things. Finally, in the last little part of, uh, of uh, verse uh, 15, it says, be thankful. Now, I want you to look at that very carefully and notice how specific this instruction is. Notice how exactly it explains how to practice thankfulness. When to practice thankfulness. Did you notice all that in there? What does it say? Be thankful. It's not a practice. It doesn't say go and do thankfulness. Be thankful. It's not a practice. It's not a certain time or event that obligates us to a course of action. It's not the end of November where we eat turkey. It's not somebody giving us something and we being thankful because we got it back. Having Joseph and Benjamin, my two grandsons in the house, is wonderful. Um, and, uh, and Matt and Becca are good parents. So when they, the children say, give me a cookie, what do they say? Say, please. They're absolutely adorable when they go, please, may I have a cookie? You can't help it. Here's the package. But that's an act in response, looking for something in return. And I'm not saying it's bad to do. Keep doing that, particularly with my grandsons. But we're called to be. It's a call to live as one who is thankful. This is not asking us to do something circumstantial. Your circumstances do not dictate your thankfulness. 
How often do we say, be thankful? You go, how can I be thankful the way things are going? <sighs> My car is broke. I can't be thankful. Weather's lousy. I can't be thankful. We tend to put thankfulness as circumstantial. And then we become the judge if the circumstance rises to the level of being worthy of my thanks. Thankfulness is an attitude. Being thankful is an attribute that marks believers, heirs with Christ. We are thankful. Verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. The word of Christ, that's scripture, that's this right here. Let the word of Christ do what? Sit on your bookshelf? Dwell, dwell in you richly. Dwell means to live in. To be at home, the word of God should permeate the lives of those who are his. The word richly, dwell in you richly. This is not hanging out in a Motel 6. This is home. To paraphrase it, let the word of Christ be extravagantly at home in you. Let the word of Christ extravagantly dwell, live, reside, be at home in you. Psalm 119 verse 11 says, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. So now we see a reason to, to say, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Okay, great. but that I might not sin against you. If I have your words dwelling in me richly, then I'm not just to, to have a sinful attitude, a sinful attribute. We're told, uh, dwelling you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. Um, once we put on love and let the word of Christ dwell in us richly, being thankful, we begin to see the real heart of living as one who is an heir of Christ. We start taking on the attributes of Christ. I mean, you have to say the word of God dwelt richly in Jesus. He was the word. <laughs> um, to have that in us, that attribute in us, so we talk about teaching, admonishing, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Um, we're called to speak and sing our love of God to each other. Isn't that cool? We're to talk about God to each other. We're to teach each other about God. We're to, to share God's wisdom with each other. We are to sing praises and worship God together. Because to do it to each other, we have to be together to do it. There's just this wonderful community that comes together. There's this wonderful time when we as believers are sharing God's words with each other. Don't you feel that? 
When someone shares God's word with you, or a song, or a psalm, you're, you're, you're lightened, you're, you're blessed. These acts become expressions of our heart of thankfulness to God. How can you not be thankful to God when you are sharing God's word with somebody else? That's being thankful. This brings, this brings God glory and honor. So we talked about be thankful. These are the acts that reveal a thankful heart. Thankfulness is not an act. Thankfulness is an expression of a thankful heart. If you're thankful in here, it's going to show. If you just act thankfully without being thankful in your heart, it's hollow. So finally, in verse 17, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Remember back in verse 13, I asked if it was being, if being healthy and happy was reason enough to do things? The answer is no. I think you kind of know that was coming. Do I want you to be happy? Do I want you to be healthy? I sure do. I'm sad that Tim is feeling bad. I'm sad that he is ill. I want us all to be healthy. I want us all to be happy. But that's not the purpose or the goal that glorifies God. Where is God in your claim that you did this to make yourself a better person? What happens when you take your New Year's resolution and go, I did that? Does that glorify God? And then how do you achieve these attributes that we've talked about, the good and holy attributes on your own? Those are where we fail because we're trying on our own. It says, whatever you do in word or in deed, with God's word dwelling richly in us, the attributes he calls us to become apparent in everything. It is living our life in the name of our Lord Jesus. So we all have little name tags. Hello, my name is... What if yours says, hello, I am an heir with Christ? What if that's your attribute, but then that's expressed? People see that, and people praise God for your holiness, and that glorifies God. You are beloved, you are holy, you are a chosen one of God, and he has given you the means to become compassionate, kind, humble, meek, patient, and forgiving. The wonderful part is God calls us out of anger, wrath, and a dark, wicked life with no hope into his glorious light. We are called to be heirs with Christ. We're not called to oppression. We're not called to slavery. We're called to be heirs. And these are the attributes that are expressed of those who are heirs with Christ. Let's close. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the promise that our lives can be so dramatically changed by you. Give us your heart and your word that it dwells richly in us, that we are thankful in our 
word, our deeds, and our heart. In Jesus' name, amen.